the heart turns from darkness to light. Anytime temptation comes and someone stands too fast. Anytime somebody lives to serve and not be served. I know, I know, I know, I know. God is on the Buddy around you.
You can be seated. Good morning, good morning. Hey, let's give God a hand for this awesome worship team we have. So I just want to say we're glad that you're here. My name is Luke McLean. I'm the pastor of ministry development here at Crossroads. And at this time, we'd appreciate if you would pass those wonderful little navy blue folders. And so we can know you're here and we can better serve you and your family. And if you're brand new with us this morning, we just want to say hi. We're glad that you're here. And if you would make it a point today to go out those doors and to the left um, before you exit and stop by the Welcome Center, we'd love to give you something and to get you connected. I know a lot of you are kind of making that decision for those of you who are new. Do I want to be here? Do I want to get connected here? And so we'd love if you would stop by and just let us know where you're at. And, you know, that's the greatest thing is when you can kind of come to the realization, the perspective that at, one, at the point of where all at is everybody needs Jesus. And the mission here at Crossroads is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I think that includes everybody. So uh, we'd love if you'd stop by that Welcome Center table, and I would love to get you connected here. Um, just a couple things to remind you all this morning. Uh, you know, we, uh, my wife and I, so my wife Jesse and I, are starting a young adult and college age uh, ministry. And so we're just slowly kind of getting things rolling, and we're going to have meetings at our house, just real informal food snacks, that kind of stuff. I'm hanging out with my dog and my three kids in my, our backyard and just really relaxed. And so we're doing that Tuesdays uh, through the month of August. You know, everybody's kind of getting ready to go back to school and such. And so that's at 7 p.m. If you just email the office and we'll get you our, our address, um, or you can email me to uh, my web, my email is luke at crsmin.com or just, you know, tag me after the service this morning. Love to get you our address. But that's at 7 p.m. through the month of August. Uh, just a couple other things to remind you is Connect Students starts back up on August 9th, and that is grades 7 through 12th. And so Connect Students start back up on August 9th. And then on August 19th, Rick Saccone has reached out to our church about uh, this incredible opportunity to serve, which is the Veterans Appreciation Picnic right down the street at Trax Farm. We need people to greet and to welcome and to, you know, just be a friendly face. And so I think when a community leader reaches out to a church and invites us to participate, I think that's pretty significant. And it means that if our church was not here, that our hope would be that the community would miss us because we're involved. And so we want to appreciate our veterans and just really love on them as well as we want to serve and just, you know, make a face in this, in this community. Um, last thing is after that, on August 20th, we're going to have our all-church picnic, and so we're going to be over at Peterswood Park, and a couple things to just remind yourself of. There is a little insert in your bulletin, but if you want to bring your own food, feel free. Uh, also, Middies will be available there to provide food for a low, low cost, and that uh, information is in your bulletin. And so if you have any questions about that, you can let me know, or you can let Jenny Hoffman know. Um, but that is August 20th. And the last thing, sorry, one more thing. Uh, I know it's crazy, but we are already kind of thinking about Christmas. And so A Perfect Christmas is going to be our musical this year. And that uh, there will be an interest meeting on August 27th. So if you are just even remotely interested, you can talk to Beth DiPietro or better yet, just get signed up. Uh, and then there's an interest meeting on August 27th. But this morning, as we continue through our study on Ephesians, Caleb York, our student pastor, will be bringing the word this morning. So we're excited to hear what God's going to communicate through him this morning. And at this point, I wanna, well, I'm going to ask the ushers to move forward, and we're going to go ahead and pray over our morning offering. Father God, we are so grateful that we can be in your house, that we can be with 
just the people that we are with this morning, God, that we can be sitting in the chairs that we're sitting in, God, and just know that at the end of the day, God, you do not see us for what we have done or what we will do or even what we're doing. You only see us through your son, Jesus. And God, that truth is, is humbling. It's, it's just crazy. But that's the beauty of the gospel. It's just mind-blowing. And so, God, as we just prepare to give of our treasures, God, that you give us so graciously and so freely, God, no matter what size, no matter what amount, God, we just know that you give to us and you call us to steward that which you give us. So, God, we give now out of, out of sacrifice and, God, knowing that you will use what we give to further your kingdom and to bring people to yourself. And so in that knowledge and that truth, God, we just... Um, Ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
name is Caleb York. I am the student pastor here. Uh, pastor Ken is on vacation. He's out of town and uh, he's getting well-needed rest, but he will be back next week continuing our series in Ephesians. But today, you're stuck with me. So buckle up, all right? So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, start uh, opening up, looking for that. But before we dive into it, I just wanted to give you a quick update on camp. We went to camp about three weeks ago, uh, and so I wanted to give you a little snippet, just an idea, uh, a visual of what happened there that week. So let's go and show that. want to say thank you to everyone who was a part of our fundraising. You helped uh, buy hoagies. We had our pushing the envelope table fundraiser going on in the foyer. We had many people get behind that, and that was a big supporter of the youth ministry. Can I tell you, just thank you so much. We took 23 students to camp, and uh, about uh, two-thirds of that group were kids that don't come to our youth ministry, and they don't have a home church where they go uh, on a week-to-week basis and things like that. And so they had an opportunity to go to camp and hear the gospel. And so God was doing some amazing things in students' lives that week. Our theme that week is for, F-O-R. And we told them the first night that God is for them. God is for them. You know, there's so many people and so many students, they believe that God is against them. That God wants to... Uh, put boundaries on, the lo- on their lives, that he wants them to not enjoy this life. You know, we had an opportunity to tell them the truth, that God is for them, that God loves them, and he has so much more for them. And then the second night, we got to talk to our students who were Christians and say, you know what, God created you to be for others. And you know, I thought it was such a great theme right there that it actually kind of ties into our message this morning but God was doing some amazing things in our students. We were able to get some comments back from our parents. One of them said that their, their student told their, the mom, said, you know, this, this week was a life-changing experience for me. It was a life-changing experience for me, and I can't wait to go back. And so, you know what? God did some amazing things. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for your prayers and uh, for the safe, praying for safety and also for everything going on with the students there. Thank you so much. Uh, it, was, it was a huge blessing. But Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 1. When you hear the word saved, what comes to mind? You know, maybe some of you, you imagine a house on fire and someone is trapped inside of it. What do we do when that takes place? We call somebody, don't we? We call the fire department. We need a firefighter to come in here and that person needs to be saved. Or someone collapses in front of us and they stop breathing. Now, I made a big mistake the first service. I said, what do we do when that happens? We call a doctor because they need to be saved. And I had a lady come to me and go, "Uh, you give them CPR. 
I went, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we give them CPR because they need to be saved. And then we call a doctor. All right. When we hear that word saved, we have a lot of different things pop into our minds. And we see uh, in what does it mean when someone needs to be saved? It's someone in a dire situation and they need someone to come from outside their situation into it to save them. And we see in the Bible, which I believe is the greatest rescue story ever told about someone that needs to be saved. They're in a dire situation and they need someone to come from outside their situation to save them. You want to know who that is? That person is us. That person is the human race. We need to be saved. Now, maybe there's someone in the crowd this morning and you're going, saved? I'm not in danger. I'm actually in a nice cushy chair right now. It's feeling pretty good. The air conditioning is pumping. It feels great. I don't, I'm not in danger, am I? No, what kind of, some of you, maybe it's your first time here and you're just like, uh, what kind of church is this? Am I in danger right now? Do I need to be saved? We're not talking about that. The Bible tells us that we need to be saved. And this morning, if someone ran up to you and said, you need to be saved, I think a few questions would pop into your mind. And this morning, I want to look at three questions, three questions that are answered in Ephesians by Paul. The first question is up on the screen. It says this, saved from what? If someone walked up to you and said, you need to be saved, what you, saved from what? What are you talking about? What are we saved from? Let's look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, the first thing I see that we need to be saved from is death. We need to be saved from death. You know, do, do you, I hope you understand this, that uh, death is a result of sin. And sin is anything that's displeasing to God. The day that we sinned, we began, we began the process of death. Another way you can kind of explain it is this. Most of you have your cell phones. We have our cell phones or our laptop. When we plug that in to electricity, when we plug it into the outlet, what happens? It'll just keep running. It's not going to die. It'll just keep going and going and going. But the minute you unplug it, it begins the process of death. And when my kids get a hold of it, it dies even faster. So, you know, it begins the process of death. And we are independent beings. And we depend on a source of life. And the day that we sinned, we became disconnected from the source of life. And that's God. We became disconnected from the source of life. And we began the process of death. We see in the Old Testament, the very first book, Genesis. We see Adam and Eve. And they're created by God. And they are perfect. They're in the Garden of Eden. They're actually so perfect that they walk around naked and they don't have any problem with it. There's no issue going on. They are a perfect being. And we see God say, listen, I have created everything for you. I've put everything into place. All you have to do is stay away from this tree. All you have to do is stay away from this fruit. And we see Satan come into the scene. And Satan begins to tell them this lie. He begins to spin this lie. You know you could be so much more. You know you could be like God. You know, he's just, he's just putting boundaries in your life. He's just putting things in the way. And we see them eat of that fruit, and the first sin takes place. And ever since that day, man has been dying. Ever since that day, man has been going to death. We see we need to be saved from death. If we keep reading in verse 1, it says this, 
who were dead in trespasses in sins. The second thing I see is we need to be saved from our trespasses and our sins. That's our thoughts. That's our words. That's our deeds. That's our motives. The Bible kind of breaks, uh, breaks sin into two different divisions. We have the sin of commission, which means we don't do good things, or uh, we do bad things. And then we have the sin of omission. We don't do good things. Two different divisions of sin taking place in our life. And then it uses that word trespass. And for some of you, you, for many of you, you know what that word means. It means exactly what you think it means. How many of you have seen those borders around property? You've seen those barbed wire fences. You've seen the sign, no trespassing. If we got any hunters in the room, you know, you've seen those signs. No trespassing, no hunting, no trespassing. What happens when you jump over that fence? What happens when you step over that line? You have trespassed against the person that owns that property. You have stepped over a line that you were not meant to step over. You know what? We take it seriously when people cross the line with us, when they step over a line. Don't we? It's easier to see someone else's sin over our own. Can anybody agree with me on that? All right, I got a few nods. All right, you guys help me out with something real quick because... It's second service. Everyone stand up with me real quick. Stand up real fast. All right, go ahead and sit down. Hey, if I don't get any acknowledgement, I, hey, Brandon, sit down. <laughs> you, you guys don't want to do that all service. All right, so, so just give me some acknowledgement. And sh- show me some signs of life. All right, we, we, it's easier to sin against, uh, for, uh, to see others and how they've sinned against us. We know exactly what they did, don't we? We have illustration after illustration. We could direct a scene-for-scene reenactment of how they have crossed the line with us. We take it seriously when people cross the line with us. But so many people, they say, God, why why would God create a place like hell and tell us that he's going to send us there? Why Why would God do this? Why does he want us to do all these things? He's a God of love. You know what? God's also a God of justice. He's also more than just a one-attribute God. God takes it seriously when you cross the line with him. And the day that we sinned, we crossed the line with God. We trespassed. We sinned. We went somewhere we weren't supposed to go. We need to be saved from our trespasses and sins. We need to be saved from where we fall short. Then if we look at verse 2, it says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world. We need to be saved from the course of this world. In other words, unholy lifestyle. A lifestyle that is displeasing from God. Displeasing to God. I want you to imagine this. Some of you are like, you know, what does it mean, this course of this world? I understand unholy lifestyle, but what what are you talking about? Imagine it like this. There is a river that's running right through here. There's a river running right through here, and it's a river of the world system and culture. And this river has a strong current. It's moving fast. It has a deep undertow, and everyone is born in this river. Everyone is born into this river. This is the course of the world. And at the end of this river, we see there is a waterfall. At the end of this river, there is destruction. We see this world nowadays, everyone's going down this river, and they are just going with the flow. They're going with whatever takes place. 
We see this struggle with, with transgender. We see this all the time. And people are going, why can't you guys just get on board? Because it's not right. God tells us he created man and he created woman. Why can't you guys get on board? Why can't you just go with the flow? Why do you have to be married to one man? Or one, why do you have to do it? Why, why, do we have to, why do we have to get married at all? Just go with the flow. The course this world is taking us to where we don't want to go. It's taking us to destruction. And let me say this as a Christian. I hope that you are having a difficult swim. Because once we know Jesus, once we know we're saved, our lifestyle should be different. Now, so many people, they go, oh, wait, wait, Pastor Caleb. We are Christians. We shouldn't even be in that river. Once you get saved, you get out of the river, and then you scream at people and say, you need to get saved. You're going to hell. No. The Bible tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. It means we're down in that river and we are swimming with everything we can. We're saying, come with me. There's, a, there's destruction at the end. There is, there's, there's death at the end. There is an end at the end. You've got to get out of this. You, come on, come with me. Fight against the current. Swim with me. As Christians, we have a difficult swim. And if, let me tell you this. If you're a follower of God and you're just going with the flow, there's something wrong with that. You know what's at the end and you're still just okay with it. Paul says we need to be saved from the course of this world. We need to be saved from this river. Why do so many people not fight against the current? Why do so many people want to just go with the flow? Because it's easier. It's so much easier to just go with the flow. It's so much easier just to go with the things of this world and say, hey, if everyone else is doing it, I should be doing it too, I guess. It's easier. It's easier to commit adultery than it is to celebrate 50 years of marriage. It's easier to give up on your kids than to persevere with them. It's easy to be stingy and spend your money on yourself than it is to be generous to God and others. It's easier. So many people, well, you know what? I, I, go with, I, I go with the flow. I go with wherever else goes because this God, he just wants to take all the fun out of my life. He wants to take all the enjoyment out of my life. He wants to take all the pleasure out of it. Then he wants a life where we're like all nuns and we walk around with a giant robe on. Can I tell you this? That's so far from the truth. That is so far from the truth. The Bible tells us that God gave us life and he wanted us to have life more abundant. There is pleasure in this life. There is enjoyment. There is fun when you're with God. When you walk with God. It's so far from the truth. We see the Bible tells us that God is a good father. And when I hear that term father, that's a term that I can understand. And many of you that are parents, you can understand that term as well. God is a good father. I don't know, I've got five kids. Anybody have kids in here? Anybody that will admit it? Some of you will not. We've got five kids. And I've never put a rule in place. I've never put a boundary in place because I wanted to stop their enjoyment. Never. Wait, 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 Pastor Caleb, you've told your kids to stop playing with toys and go brush their teeth. Yeah, I've done that before. Wait, wait, you've said, hey, it's time for bed. Turn the video games off. Yeah, I've done that before. You've said, hey, stop what you're doing and go eat dinner. Yes, I've done all that. But not because I want to stop their enjoyment. I want their enjoyment to continue on. I want their enjoyment to keep going. And you know what? It's hard to enjoy things when you're hungry and you don't have the energy to move. 
It's hard to enjoy things when you're tired and you don't have plenty of rest. It's hard to enjoy things when you're not healthy and you don't take care of yourself. What am I trying to say here? God is a good father and he wants you to enjoy this life that he has created for you. And guess what? For you to enjoy it, he has to protect you from some things. He has to protect you from some things. And let me say this. Sometimes he has to protect us from ourselves. He's a good father. He wants you to enjoy this life. He created this life and he wanted you to have life more abundant. Don't tell me that God doesn't want us to have fun, enjoyment, and pleasure. He created this life for these things. He's given us these lives that have so much more. And God's laws aren't forbidding. For, they're not forbidding. They're loving. They're loving. He loves you so much. He wants to protect us. Then if we keep reading in verse, verse 2, it says this, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of dis- disobedience. Paul's saying right here, we need to be saved from Satan and his demons. Satan and his demons. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that Satan is real. He's not a figment of our imagination. There's so many churches, they're turning to this idea that Satan is just a mindset. He's an idea. He's not actually real. He's really, it's us. Where's Satan? No. Satan is a being that wants to destroy your life. And he has his minions on, his, on, on this earth. And guess what? They're not little short yellow ones that speak gibberish. They're demons and they want to destroy you. And they constantly work to destroy you. Satan is real. The Bible tells us that Satan was an angel created by God. He was a minister. He was a messenger. But we see something take place in Satan's life. Pride comes into his heart. And he starts to believe that he can become greater than God. And so he leads a rebellion against God and those that are his. Satan is an enemy that is fighting against us. He's fighting against everything God has put into place. And he's here on this earth. The Bible tells us Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour can I tell you honestly, I believe that Satan has walked up and down the aisles of, the, of this church looking for the one that he can devour, looking for one that he can destroy, looking for one that he can manipulate. Satan is real. We need to be saved from Satan. We need to be saved from Satan, but let me challenge you with this. We need to be vigilant. That verse, when it talks about Satan as a roaring lion, it starts out, be vigilant. It means wake up. Be sensitive to the things of darkness. Be sensitive to the things of Satan because he is creeping into your life constantly. He's constantly finding ways to work in you and destroy you. We need to be saved from Satan and his demons. We continue on, look at verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, the next thing I see Paul's talking about right here is we need to be saved from our nature and our desires. We need to be saved from our natures and our desires. What is this talking about when it says natures? It's talking about an old nature. If you're a Christian in this room today, if you're saved, you have a new nature. There's a new nature in you. But before Jesus, we have an old nature. We have a sinful nature that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. And with this old nature, this sin nature, we're born with it. 
We're born with this old nature. But once we become saved, once we accept Jesus, we are reborn with a new nature. Have you ever heard someone say, you Christians, you guys just think you're better than everybody else. Walk around on your high horse, just flaunting in people's faces how great you are. No. Listen, to be a Christian doesn't mean to be better. It means we're new. We're new. We have a new nature. We have a new nature. We have a new mind. Our desires are, uh, our, our desires are different from the desires of the world. Before we know Jesus, our minds don't think the thoughts of God. Our mind, our thoughts are independent from God's thoughts. Our thoughts are rebellious from God's thoughts. Our desires are not God's desires. When we have a new nature, we have a new mind. We think differently. And let me tell you this, the more you learn about Jesus in his word, the more you learn about him, guess what? Your thinking begins to change. You start to think differently. The things that you used to think were important, guess what? They're not as important now. The things that you used to brag about, guess what? You confess of. The things that you used to think was okay are now not okay. We have a new mind. We're a new creature. We're a new creation. Your mind is changing when you have that new nature, when you are saved. We need to be saved from our old nature and then saved from our desires. What are the desires of a non-Christian? What are the desires of someone who hasn't accepted Jesus? It's self or self-absorbed. They focus only on themselves. Their desires is to fill what they want and then sin. I tell you what, it's sad to be in this world, to have the technology that we have, and to be able to see how people are so open about the sin in their life. And how they brag about it, and how they just flaunt it, and they want to just rub it in your face, how they are so okay with their sin, and they're so okay, and they, I've heard people say, I know it's wrong, but it makes me happy. Their desires is their self and the sin. As Christians, our desires are Jesus in holiness, a life that is pleasing to him, holiness. Many Christians, I, as I was studying this idea of desires and things like that, I, uh, I kind of realized some things. You know, a lot of Christians, they believe that our deepest desires are in conflict with God's desires. Our deepest desires are in conflict with God's desires. And the more and more I studied it, I, said, I figured it's not true. I figured out that's not true. Actually, our deepest desires are in concert. As a child of God, when you have accepted Jesus Christ and you are saved, your desires, your deepest desires become in concert with God's desires. Become in concert. The desires we've got to be very careful for is our lesser desires. Our lesser desires are in constant conflict with God's desires. Let me explain it this way. In Romans, we see Paul talking about this idea of conflict in concert. And we see him say this. He says, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. Paul's saying right here, when I give in to my lesser desires, I'm frustrated because they're not my deepest desires. I want to do what God wants me to do, but my lesser desires keep pulling this way. They keep pulling me away. And I don't know about you guys, have you, have you felt that before? You want to do what God wants you to do, but your lesser desires are pulling you the opposite direction. I hope today that when your lesser desires went out, that you get mad, that you get frustrated, that you're not okay with it, that you go, why did I do that? This is what I wanted to do. This is my deepest desire. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I hope you get frustrated like Paul did. He didn't want to do 
his lesser desires, but sometimes they win. Can I challenge you with this today? Feed and nurture your deepest desires that God has given you. Feed and nurture those deepest desires that God has given you. Feed them through his word. Feed them through prayer. Feed and nurture them. Why do we want to do that? Why do we want to feed and nurture those things? If we look at it this way, I have God-given desires in my life. My deepest desires, for one, as a husband, is I want to be the husband, protector, and provider that I should be for my wife Amanda over here. It's her first Sunday back. She's been out with uh, healing up after surgery. Give it up for my wife. Come on. It's so exciting to come to church and see my wife here again. It's just amazing. So she's been out for two weeks. So, but you know what? My deepest desire that God's given me is to be the husband, to be the protector, to be the provider that she needs me to be. My deepest desire is to be the father to my five kids and to show them Jesus through my life and to teach them and train them and lead them up in the ways that they should go. That's my deepest desire. As a pastor, my deepest desire is to see souls saved and to see lives changes through, uh, changed for Christ. Can I tell you this? And I'm not a perfect person. Nobody's perfect. I make mistakes. But can I tell you this? When I feed and I nurture that, those deepest desires, guess what happens? God is glorified. And when God is glorified, I'm satisfied. I find a satisfaction that I have not found anywhere else. When you feed and you nurture those deepest desires, you're going to find a satisfaction through God's glorification. It's going to bring you joy. Guess what? You're going to have joy and you're going to have a clear conscience. Not only that, you're going to be walking with the Lord. When God is glorified and I am satisfied, something changes with my relationship with Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, Caleb, I want you to do something. I got something for you to do. Guess what my response is? That's what I want to do. I want to do what Jesus told me to do because there's a satisfaction through God being glorified through my life. For some of you, have you seen that satisfaction? When you feed and you nurture those deepest desires that God's given you. Have you seen that satisfaction? And then lastly what we're saved from. Look at verse three. It says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we saw that nature. We're born with a nature apart from God. It's not, it's not, we don't, we don't do the things that God wants us to do. We have a nature born apart from God. And it says, a nature, by nature, we were children of wrath. Now, if you have children in this room, you understand what this means. You understand what this means, children of wrath. I told you before, I've got five kids. I've got five kids, and we just had uh, little, little Evan. He's uh, 10 months old, 10 months old, yeah. Got to look at my wife. He's 10 months old, and he is, he's precious. He's precious. He's, the day he was born, he came out, he didn't make a squawk. He came out and he was just looking around and observing. He was like our earliest baby to just start smiling at everybody. He still smiles this day. He just, he's just a smile machine gun. I mean, he just smiles at everybody. He is so beautiful. He is sweet. He is innocent. And we brought him home and he just, he's just so perfect. But after time, something changes 
in these children. We have an, our, our, our second youngest. He's two. And, you know, they start out so sweet, but after a while, they turn into, like, little terrorists. Like, they want to destroy you. Like, I, I was listening to a pastor one time, and he was like, you know, these kids, if they were bigger, they'd probably kill you. They just, they just lack size. That's the only thing they like. They're like little terrorists. And they come into your home, and they destroy things. Our playroom half the time looks like a nuclear, uh, it's, it's, a nuclear fallout has taken place. There's debris everywhere. And I don't know what it is about crowns, but why can't they just color with them? They got to break them into pieces like they're sharing them with people. And then the paper, it, it's just like, I wonder if I can tear this up into a million pieces and then throw it around the room. They destroy things. They have this nature They're children of wrath. And we see this nature. And can I tell you this? I never had a day where I said, boys, sissy, come sit down. I'm going to teach you how to lie. Didn't happen. I'm going to teach you how to fight with your sister. I'm going to teach you how to cheat when you play games. It didn't happen. There was no sinning 101. They had this nature built into them. They were born with it. And it was passed down from Adam all the way through me onto them. There was no class. There was this nature. We're born with this nature apart from God. And let me tell you this, because of the sin nature, because of the sin in our life, this last thing I see that we're saved from, we're saved from wrath. In that verse, it says, what does it say? We're by nature children of wrath wrath just as the others paul says we're saved from wrath we were under wrath and i i can't give you like a greek definition i'm not going to try to change the word wrath means wrath you know what wrath means if i said brian i called up brian tomorrow i said brian it's pastor caleb brother i got some wrath upon your house what's he going to do he's going to go lock the door i got some wrath god has wrath upon our lives because of sin. There's a wrath upon, of our, on, upon our lives. We see throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, the word wrath is mentioned over 600 times, used over a dozen different words, all meaning wrath. 600 times. I don't know about you guys, but when I get three consecutive missed calls from somebody, I'm like, something's going on. How about 600 missed calls? Something's up. What do you think that means? Why do you think 600 times? I think there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of time is running out. God's wrath is upon us because of our sin. And his wrath leads to what they call in the Bible an eternal death. Not a physical death, not a death of this body, but an eternal death. It talks about a place called hell and the lake of fire. A place where the worm never dies. A place of eternal torment. A place of eternal darkness. And some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like this part, Pastor Caleb. Why are you bringing this up? I thought God was a God of love. Why are you bringing this up? Because God is also a God of justice. And he's also a God of wrath. He's more than just a God of love. 
We have a God that has wrath upon our, upon our life. And I tell you this because I love you. God told us 600 times because he loves you. He's trying to get you to, he's trying to get your attention 600 times. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of time is running out. I don't tell you about hell because I hate you. I tell you because I love you and I don't want you to go to a place like this. But what about all the good things I've done? What about all the good works? You know, the Bible tells us our good works are like filthy rags to God. And when it says filthy rags, it's talking about the wraps that they would put around the hands and the feet of the lepers. Could you imagine taking rags that are pussy and diseased and green? Here, God, let me into heaven, please. Our good works are like filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to get into heaven ourselves. There's nothing we can do to earn our merit, earn our way, get our get out of hell card with our filthy works. Wrath is coming for those that have crossed the line with God. And according to the Bible, that is everyone. That's all of us. Now some of you are going, Pastor Caleb, you are the most depressing preacher I've ever met in my life. You know what? I think you're going to like this next part. Let's keep reading verse 4. Verse 4 says this, But God, I love that but God. Man, Paul understood. He goes, that last part was rough. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, there's that God of love, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. That second question I want to answer is saved by what? We were saved by grace. Some of you are like, okay, grace. What does that mean? That grace is a gift. It's talking about a gift. God gives us a gift. That gift is himself. In an undeserving world where we didn't ask for it, we just got it. We got a gift from God, and that gift was himself, Jesus That gift was himself. He sent us Jesus, who was 100% man and 100% God, given to us because of our sin. Sent to us because of our trespasses. He gives us Jesus. If we drop down to verse 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace, there it is again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not, not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast it's such a great summary of what we just talked about with the gift god's grace grace that has saved us but what does it say not our works we talked about that filthy rags it's not our works there's nothing we can do to get us into heaven there's nothing we can do to see that fulfilled it's not our works it's by grace and that grace that gift it's jesus's works the works that jesus did on this earth that is what saves us We see that Jesus came to this earth as a perfect being, as a perfect, uh, never sinned, a perfect life, and then died on a cross to to pay that penalty, to cover that wrath that was upon us. He died on a cross for you and me to pay that penalty, to pay that fine that we had for trespassing against God. And you know what's even better? You know what even shows that, because some people will be like, you know, anybody can die on a cross. Anybody can die on a cross, but not anybody can forgive your sins. 
Jesus not only died on a cross, but then he showed that he had the power to do it. He rose three days later. He showed that he had the power over death, sin, and hell, and he rose again three days later, proving that he had what it took to save us, that he was who he was. We have this gift of grace, and it's not by our works. It's by grace. Jesus works that we're saved. By grace, you are saved. We see what we're saved by. What are we saved for? This is so important because so many people, they say, okay, I know what I'm saved by. I, 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 I see that I'm saved, and now I get to sit on the bus bench to heaven waiting for my ride to get here. I can't wait. Sorry, but Paul continues. He says, guess what? You're saved for something. We see in verse 6, look at verse 6, back up to verse 6. It says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means the day that you are saved, a reservation has been made. The day that you are saved, a reservation has been made. And that reservation is in heaven. The Bible talks about a banquet feast that will be taking place in heaven. And you've got a seat at the table. It's a reservation that can't be confused. It can't be lost. It can't be switched. It can't be confused. It is a reservation made for you. And it is guaranteed. I always like that, that Burlington man. I guarantee it. It's guaranteed for you. You have a reservation in heaven. You're saved for heaven. The Bible tells us when you die, you're absent from the body, but you're present with the Lord. If you've been saved, you're going to heaven. You're saved for heaven. Drop down to verse 8 again. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some of you, your brain just exploded because we just talked for the last 30 minutes about no works, no works, good works. Some of you are like, what? It's not about works. Why is it all of a sudden good works? I had, I, why, how does that work? I don't get it. Guys, the key is this. The key is getting your works in the right order. Let me explain it this way. Jesus works, save us. Then Jesus works on us, and then he works through us. That's what it's talking about, good works. God has a plan for you. When you accept Jesus, you're not just waiting for your time to go to heaven. He has a job for you to do. And can I tell you this? Your job is not showing up to church. Some of you are going to leave here and go, Pastor Caleb said we don't have to go to church anymore. This is great. (laughs) No. It's not what I'm talking about. The work begins when you leave these doors and you go out into the world. The work begins when you invest in someone else's life and tell them about Jesus. It's not sitting in a cushy pew or a cushy seat. Sorry, I'm old school. A cushy seat. And it's not showing up and singing the songs. That's not the works it's talking about. Here, this is the pep rally. This is the feeding grounds. This is where we feed you and say, hey, get pumped up and ready to go because you're going to go out those doors and you're going to do a good work in this world. You're going to do a good work in someone else's life. You're going to be for someone. 
else because God created you for that. How do we know that? Because it says in that verse that God prepared you beforehand. He had plans before you were even around for the work that you were to do. And some of you, you're Christians today and you've been coming to this church and you like coming in Sunday morning and just sitting down and saying, what a good work I'm doing here. And then walk out that door and pretend you're like everyone else. God's got a good work for you to do. God challenge you with this. We have an amazing church here with an amazing children's ministry downstairs, an amazing nursery, an amazing youth ministry, amazing worship band, uh, people who just love Jesus. Be a part. We have this amazing veterans breakfast coming up. Be a part. Do a good work. Show people the love of Jesus. Some of you go, I can't stand those little kids downstairs. They run around my feet and they drive me insane. You know what? We didn't ask you to go down there and parent them and you know, teach them the, the ways of the world and what's right and what's wrong. We said go down there and just love on them. Some of you are like, ah, I can't stand teenagers. Can I tell you something? I want to confess something. I'm a youth pastor and I can't stand them half the time either. Some of you teenagers in the room, I'm so sorry, but you're annoying. But I love you. But I love you. I love them and I want to show them Jesus. You know what? It's not about who you like. It's about doing the work that God has called you to do. If you're a Christian in this room, are you doing the good work that God has prepared for you? Jesus works in us, on us, and through us. Can I tell you this? You were saved for, fo- for so much more. You were saved for f- so much more. When you accepted Jesus, it wasn't the end of the road. It was the beginning of the journey. Would you do this with me this morning? Would you just stand with me real quick? Stand with me, every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to give God an opportunity to just uh, allow you to make a decision today if you feel led. As our band comes up and just prepares for our final song, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want anybody looking around because I want to ask some questions and I don't want to point anybody out. I don't want anybody to feel singled out. Maybe this morning you came in here and you heard that question, you need to be saved, or that phrase, you need to be saved. And he said, I wonder what that means. Can I tell you this? You know now. You know now what it means to be saved. It means to accept that free gift that Jesus has given you. This morning, if you say, I've never had an opportunity like that, I've never accepted that free gift, I want to give you an opportunity right now. I don't want you to walk out these doors and take these words and do nothing with it. You know what you're saved from. I didn't say it just to scare you. I said it because it's, I love you. And I don't want you to go to a place called hell. You have an opportunity to be saved today. Romans 10.9 tells us, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what that means? That confession with the mouth is talking about praying. It's talking about talking to God. And then it says a belief in the heart. That means to be serious, to be real, to mean business. It's not just words. It's not just lip service. You're making a choice. You're making a decision. And right now, if you've never had that opportunity, but you would like to, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer that I want you to repeat after me. 
And it's not hocus pocus. It's not a spell. It's not like if you don't say the exact words that I say that it doesn't work. This is just us talking to God and making a decision to accept his free gift. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you died for me and rose again. I accept your free gift of salvation and want you to be my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head still bowed, every eye closed. You know what? For some of you, maybe you said that prayer today. I don't want you to just walk out of here and go, okay, I'm done. This is just the beginning of the journey. As a Christian, as someone who's accepted Jesus, we're not supposed to be ashamed of it. Man, we want to tell everyone, you have been saved. And you know what you're saved from. Would you do this this morning? I'm looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want anybody looking right now. Would you do this for me? If you prayed that prayer this morning, would you look up? Would you catch my eye? I want to rejoice with you. The Bible says in heaven there's a party going on. If you prayed that prayer and you say, you know, I accepted Jesus' free gift today. Would you look up and catch my eye? I'm looking around. I'm looking to my left. I see this. I see this. God's rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing over you. Don't be ashamed. Anyone else on my left, you're right. Just look up. Catch my eye. I want to rejoice with you. I see that. I see that. Once you look at me, just go and put your head right back down. I see that. On my right. Would you look up and catch my eye? I prayed that prayer. I see that, brother. I see that. Put your head back down. I'm rejoicing with you. I'm looking to the balcony. Would you just look up and catch my eye? I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I accepted that free gift. looked at me, if you caught my eye, I want to challenge you with something. I want you to come and talk to somebody. Don't just walk out those doors and leave and act like nothing has ever changed. Your life has changed forever. You have a reservation in heaven. You have a new nature. You have new desires. Would you do this? Would you come talk to one of the pastors? Would you come talk to someone at our, at our welcome center and just say, I made a decision today and I just want somebody to know, don't be ashamed. Don't hide it. Tell someone because there's no way you're going to continue to grow. There's no way you're going to learn more about God. There's no way you can carry on by yourself. God created us to be in community and to grow and love each other. I challenge you, come right up to me. I don't care. And just say, hey, I prayed that prayer today. I just want to know. I want to challenge you to do that. Don't just leave. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the work that you've done this weekend. Thank you so much that you're doing in this church every single day. The lives that are being changed, the hearts that are being turned to you. I praise praise you for these souls that said, I accept Jesus today. They meant business. God, I hope they understand that there was nothing they could do to earn that, and there's nothing they can do to lose it. Once they make this decision, once they are real, it is done. God, thank you so much. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gift. In Jesus' name.
We're so glad you've come out and worship with us today. Hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you again next Sunday.